Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Petrano. Just about 12 minutes after 8 on this Friday morning. Excited to dive into a topic this morning about the future of powering Wisconsin. If you listen to the show regularly, you know that I've been on this for some time. I am greatly concerned about the collision between the increased demand for electric power and simultaneously the calls for reducing working even at the behest of extremists who seek to fully eliminate the use of fossil fuels. How are we going to produce enough electricity? I also strongly believe there are many people with virtually no knowledge about where electricity actually comes from. It is not magic, and it doesn't come from the outlet in your wall. It starts somewhere. And that's why we're here to educate today. Yes, it is generated right now overwhelmingly by fossil fuel power plants. We are plugging in more and more gadgets every day. Electricity is the lifeblood of so many things that we do. We charge our phones, our power tools, from lawnmowers to cordless drills, electric heat, electric stoves, battery-powered everything. And... What about as we increasingly plug in our cars are we going to do about the energy situation? If we're going to move to largely electric vehicles on the road, some folks targeting 2035. I've got two guys from We Energies with us this morning in studio. Brendan Conway, you see him on TV and hear him on the radio usually when things are bad. (laughs) We've had a big old storm. and (laughs) Good to be here today. Yes, (laughs) right. So Brendan's with us this morning. And then he's brought Dan Krieger, who's executive vice president of planning, who's a big projects guy. So how do we meet the demands for power today and in the future? Welcome to both of you. Really appreciate it. Dan, Thank let, me you. S- let me start with the premise that I laid out there. Am I right to be asking these questions to be concerned with our electric generating capacity as both demand increases and then the pressure on you folks in the energy sector to move toward more renewable uh, energy sources? It's a big question. So happy to be here. Thanks for having us. I yield the remainder of my time to Dan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> go you got ahead. plenty of it. All right. Terrific. Well, I'll start by saying that our plans are, are based on what we call affordable, reliable, and clean. That's our mission as the electric provider and the gas provider for a good part of Wisconsin. When we look at, at this question of clean energy, it is a complicated one. So today we've got power from nuclear, coal, gas, solar, wind, hydro, you name it. Batteries are, are, are coming in place as well. And we've laid out some of the most aggressive CO2 reduction targets in the country. So we already take pride in our CO2 reduction, which is over 50% since 2005. Our goal is now 80% reduction by 2030. It gets a little complicated. So we have to generate the power from somewhere. And we have to be able to prove that we can generate power when it's needed. We're part of a a Midwest grid. Okay, there's an operator. And our first role as a utility is to prove to this grid operator that we're reliable, that we can provide the energy our customers need when they need it. And we're measured on that. So we call that, you know, that's, those are the power plants that are there ready to dispatch at any given time. Okay. okay? And then the next thing is what people think of when they, when they think of electricity is, is the actual power that's consumed. So just because we have a plant doesn't mean it's always running. What's changing with this energy transition is that we've gone from a fleet full of plants, mostly coal plants, that we controlled when they ran, to new plants, solar, wind, that they kind of tell us when they want to run. Yeah, so so is is this compatible as we plug in more things and we have more battery-powered everything? Is that compatible with also continuing to reduce the carbon footprint? We think so. We just need the time. So we have have an excellent plan. So we have a plan that takes us through these goals, of 2030, which meets all these requirements to have the power plants ready, 
to have the energy ready to go and to reduce CO2 by 80% by that, by that time. What we need is time to execute the plan. So Dan, you mentioned that not every plant you may drive by is operating at any given moment. Like, How do we determine when a plant needs to be operating, when it needs to be shut down? What, who makes that determination and how? Oh, that's a great question. So we have a power operations group that works hand-in-hand hand with the grid operator. There's forecasts that are put together day ahead and hour ahead, and the grid operator sends signals to each of the utilities or the power plant owners of what they want from that plant and when. So let's get into this. Uh, Brendan, you and I have talked about this before as well. You know, the, where We Energies has traditionally had coal-powered mm-hmm. Plants. In many cases, you've switched over to gas. I mean, I'm old enough to remember, as many folks listening right now are, the big coal pile in Port Washington that is now gone as that plant years ago was converted to natural gas. You're looking into doing the same thing in, in Oak Creek as well. Is that no longer a viable solution? I mean, what's, what's wrong with doing that? Coal, first of all, uh, will be in our fleet through about 2030, maybe as long as 2032. But it is definitely going away. First of all, some EPA rules that are kind of forcing the hand of a lot of utilities that either you have to put in really, really expensive um, changes to those coal plants um, that just doesn't make it economic viable. But also, you know, uh, we know that we can now, as we move away uh, from coal, we can continue to provide what we call baseload or kind of power with solar, with wind. And then we're going to replace a lot of that with dispatch, what Dan was talking about, that always on with our natural gas plants. And those can power up really quickly. Coal, it doesn't have that same flexibility, right? Coal takes a long time to turn on. It takes a long time to turn off. It's It's been the backbone of Wisconsin's power for generations. Um, so it's served us well, but in the future, um, it's, it's not needed. And there's ways to do it that is this cleaner and more efficient. And to that point, Brendan, we've obviously heard the news this week about a solar plant, a large solar plant that's being pursued at what's currently a landfill, if you're just southeast of Milwaukee Mitchell International. So what role do solar and particular We Energy solar plants now play in as the grid expands and need expands? Can solar, is it a, it's not a one size fits all solution, obviously. What role does that play? Solar and, then, and and again, wind are going to be there when when it's sunny or when it's windy, um, and it's going to provide increasingly as we build these things out over the next you know five ten years. So certainly that's going to be what's going to be providing probably the majority of the power on those days, and it's sunny and it's windy. Um, but we know there's times that well we know certainly the sun goes down every day. It's not very windy. So how do we keep the power on? And that's where kind of the, the generation planning that Dan and his group do, and that's where we're talking about other things, whether it's batteries, whether it's uh, natural gas plants or nuclear, which we still have in a part of our fleet, which by the way is carbon free. 24-7, right? So these things are all so incredibly important. Um, yes, we're building more solar. Yes, we're building more wind. But I'm sure Dan can touch on it. We also have new natural gas plants uh, in our plans. This has just been in the news the last few weeks or so that are also going to be increasingly important. Yeah, Dan, I really wanted to ask you about nuclear. I think a lot of folks also listening might be surprised to learn we do still have a nuclear plant in uh, Wisconsin. Uh, Point Beach, what is that? Man- Manitowoc County, right? And that is cranking out. Uh, how many more years of useful life does that have? And could we see an expansion of nuclear? Nobody wants to build a new nuclear power plant, whether that's out of ignorance or whether that's out of legitimate concern. Regardless, nobody ever wants to do that. So what's the future of nuclear for We Energies? Well, we're, we're very pleased to have the offtake agreement with the Point Beach nuclear power plant. Point Beach provides about 20% of the energy for the We Energies and WPS utilities in Wisconsin. So it is a significant part of our energy supply. And as Brendan said, it's zero carbon. That plant is licensed for approximately nine or 10 more years. That plant owner, next era, has to make a decision on whether they pursue a lifetime extension of that plant. 
We're talking with We Energies today about the future of powering Wisconsin. If you guys can stick around for a break, a couple more things I want to touch on. Is there anything else that we haven't? Is there some new technology out there that perhaps we're looking into that we haven't addressed? And then also, what about cost? Are our energy prices ultimately going up or down? We'll hit that coming up next on Wisconsin's Morning News. Eight twenty-three on Wisconsin's Morning News. Dan Kruger and Brendan Conway are here from We Energies this morning as we investigate the future of electric power in Wisconsin. Dan, you know, as We Energies continues to invest in renewable, we talked about that. We talked about wind and solar. Do you believe, at least for the foreseeable future, natural gas is still a part of the power generating capacity, at least here in Wisconsin, because of all the things that Brendan mentioned about the unreliability uh, of some of those renewable sources? Absolutely. So we do have a a plan based on known technologies that we're comfortable with to get us to 80% CO2 reduction by 2030. It's important for people to realize that the core of our generating capacity or our fleet has been coal plants for decades. The new core is going to be zero carbon generation. It's that that combination of nuclear, solar, and wind. So when the, the zero carbon generation can't meet demand because of sun or wind that doesn't show up, that's when these quick start gas plants will kick in. And they'll fill those gaps. But when the zero carbon generation can come back online and fill it, they turn back off. So they play a key role as we go forward in this. Sounds like a nice compromise. It is. <laughs> right? And yeah. it should be. But you know, there's this sort of war on natural gas. I mean, Chicago is investigating the possibility of not allowing any new natural gas ports to be installed in new construction. Mm-hmm. What's with the war on natural gas? Yeah, it's an environmental, and we think misguided. Matter of fact, we have that is our utility in Chicago and our natural gas utility that is under attack, as you said. And, and there's been some common sense uh, city council members who have pushed back and I think delayed that. Um, I hope so. I mean, like, don't come for my stove, man. I finally got a natural gas stove. I really like it. Really expensive, by the way. I mean, <laughs> yes. we, and, and How do we, I factor into this? Uh, yes. I wouldn't want to throw a lot of stats, but really expensive, right? Uh, heating with electricity is two to three times more expensive than that furnace. And guess what? It gets cold in Wisconsin. It gets cold in Chicago. So I think that's the story we've been telling in Chicago that people have been hearing and going, oh, we understand that a little bit better. Not to mention, by the way, about $75,000 to, to retrofit a house in Chicago to yeah, go no, from natural you. gas to electricity. <laughs> so what's what's new? Is there any new technology, Dan, on the horizon that, that we can point to? You know, we got your wind, we got your solar, you've got some of the newer ways to adapt our traditional fossil fuels, but is there something new out there? I mean, besides nuclear fusion, which, as we've said, is a century off or so. There's a lot of advancements occurring in, in the scale and efficiency of wind and solar. So we, we're very bullish on those technologies. Once we have those plants built and connected, we expect that over time we'll be able to repower them to produce more and more energy. There's a lot of discussion about... So you get more out of what we got. We, that's our expectation. We'll get more out of the windmills. Yep. We'll get more out of the solar generation. Yeah, for sure. Okay. For sure. We, we expect that. There's a lot of discussion about batteries and solar. And you know, we were talking on the break about... Um, EVs. Well, we're also installing lithium-ion batteries at some of our solar facilities to take advantage of periods when there's excess generation from the solar. So we charge the batteries, and guess what? At night, when the solar goes off but the load doesn't, we discharge the batteries. So it's sunshine after sunset. That's how we look at it. You bring up the batteries and EV, and we've gotten a couple of people on the talk and text line asking, I am also curious. Mm -hmm. They run on batteries that you have to plug in and charge, and then you go off about your business. But as we've known for our entire lives, anything that's battery powered, whether it's your phone, whether it's a Game Boy, if you want to date yourself a little bit, those batteries die at some point and you have to dispose of them properly. So 
as we slowly move towards, and we've mentioned 2035, a lot of places are targeting for mostly EV vehicles on highways. What happens to those batteries once they reach the end of their lifespan? Well, we expect there to be significant recycling and refurbishment of the batteries. So, you know, can't speak for the automakers, but the batteries we're looking at, we expect that they'll be pulled out, they'll be refurbished, they'll be returned. And I don't know how many lifetimes one of those cases will have, but, but we're also very bullish that there's going to be a lot of efficiency with the battery recycling. Talking with Dan Kruger and Brendan Conway from We Energies this morning. All right. How much is all this going to cost? We have a lot of new infrastructure investments. We have things that we want in terms of a, a cleaner environment, but that is a, a substantial cost to retool some of these old plants and to add new things and technologies. So are we looking at, over the next 10 years, energy costs rising, or are there savings because of the renewable aspect? Yeah, I mean, we're investing significant dollars in all of these things, right? And as part of that process, it goes through the regulatory uh, pr- pr- process. And as those things are approved, and we expect, you know, that they will be, you know, after they're investigated, or at least most of them uh, will be, they go into rates. So, so there is that. So certainly, you start to see those projects; they are recovered in rates. However, um, the good news for our customers, and we've been telling this for for a long time. Um, is we expect significant savings over that horizon, right? Because as we have bring on more sun and wind, guess what? It doesn't cost anything. There's no fuel costs there, right? Mother Nature provides all that. So we expect savings of about $2 billion over the next 20 years versus if we were just to continue to do what we are doing. That includes if we had to meet those strict EPA guidelines, which would cost hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars more. So there's long-term cost savings. As those projects get put into rates, uh, we'll start to recover those in rates, you know, a small percentage per year. Um, but the long-term cost savings are significant. And it sounds kind of like a TIF district, you know, like, well, okay, we're going to, for a while here, we won't charge these folks any any taxes because they're putting up a building that ultimately then when we collect those property taxes, that will give a, sort of a refund or a rebate to the taxpayer. But you have to be rate conscious. Oh, we are, very much. Everything we do, we, we get back to affordable, reliable, and clean. So every project is evaluated using those criteria. Dan Conway and uh, Dan, uh, sorry, Dan, Dan Kruger and Brendan Conway. We've merged them. I, hey, or Dan, nuclear fusion. There, there's some cost savings right there. Just make you know one job out of it here. Really appreciate you guys uh, being here with us and uh, setting the record straight on a lot of stuff. Learned a lot of new things today. So appreciate your time this morning. Thank you much. Pleasure. Coming up on 8:30 on Wisconsin's Morning News. 8:38 on Wisconsin's Morning News. The retraction of opportunities and employment in higher education continues here. we got another local story about, uh, and this time, Adam, it's Concordia that's pulling back and eliminating some staff to try to keep the lights on. That's right. We're uh, talking about their Mequon campus, north end of the Milwaukee metro. Uh, it's one of the first things that kind of signals, oh, you're getting into the Milwaukee area when you drive by Concordia. They're right by Lake Michigan. Well, they are uh, reportedly likely to cut staff facing uh, what they've said is, quote, financial instability. Uh, this will affect their Mequon campus as well as cuts to their Ann Arbor, Michigan facility as well. What's interesting about this to me, Vince, is that we, of course, remember last year when Cardinal Stritch shut their doors and had a lot of students wondering, what happens to my degree now? Well, Concordia took in a lot of those students. They had transfers. And so now you're kind of maybe seeing potentially the impact of a sudden influx of the student population at a time when a lot of colleges have been seeing and, you know, the provost and the chancellors will say differently, oh, we're on the rise, we're on the rise, but a lot of schools are contracting their student counts. Higher education is going to have to get more affordable, and by that I mean not 
increase the availability of loans to pay exorbitant costs. The costs are going to have to start to come down. The pendulum has to swing back or they're not going to survive. And it's crazy because we I know from my experience in lacrosse, it seems like every couple of years there was a new development. We're building something new, bigger, better, new student unions, new athletic facilities. That's all got to come back around to the point of, well, all right, how much is this going to cost? And maybe in the bigger, broader question, what will this cost? Hey, we had a lot of really stacked uh, programs the last uh, end, end of the week here. And if you want to any anytime listen to our podcast, you just text the word Vince to the WTMJ talk and text line. That's my name. Vince to 855-616-1620. Up on the podcast page right now, we have Kristen Lapis. We spoke with her in the 8 o'clock hour yesterday. She is the producer director of the new Giannis documentary that drops on Monday called Giannis, The Marvelous Journey. And that's going to have some screenings here in southeast Wisconsin at theaters as well. Drops on Prime Video as well on Monday. So our interview with Kristen, a lot of new things that we learned about Giannis and his journey and his family. That's up there on the podcast page. Earlier today, we had Amy Herbst from Children's Wisconsin. This is a significant development. Children's is opening. In fact, they were cutting the ribbon at 730 this morning. So Amy was good enough to join us just ahead of that on a walk-in clinic for mental and behavioral health services. They've already got the one at the main children's campus there in Wauwatosa. I guess it's technically Milwaukee, but you know where I'm talking about, where, sure. where Children's is. And this is another one of these facilities where I know young people who struggle with mental or behavioral health issues sometimes can wait weeks, if not months, to get in to see a mental health professional. And this will help alleviate some of that, particularly if you have a young person who's in crisis. You can just walk right in at this clinic and... Folks ask them, maybe they're folks who don't have kids, or it's been a minute since you had the kids in the house. How can you not know your child? It can happen as quickly as you happen to pick up your kid's phone, and you look, and you go through a couple of text messages, and you see, ooh, alarm bells. Something is not right here. They're not always going to be forthright and tell you everything that's going on. It can be something that quickly where you're all of a sudden in crisis. I need help now. And these walk-in clinics, hopefully they can staff up and become uh, not only... Uh, greater in number, but also expand their hours. So that is happening in Kenosha, and Amy joined us from Children's Wisconsin earlier today. And then we just had Dan Kruger and Brendan Conway in from We Energies talking about the future of powering Wisconsin. I learned a lot. Me too. Yeah, a lot of new information from them about how fossil fuels will continue to play into the mix, at least, at the very least, in standby mode as we move to more renewable energy sources like wind and solar, what sort of other technologies might be out there. All of that is at the podcast page, WTMJ Talk and Text Line 855-616-1620. Just text Vince, and I'll get Greg Pancake Hill, producer of the program, to send you a link. The aforementioned Pancake will have the Pancake Breakfast Special coming up next. Eight forty-six, Wisconsin's morning news, taking you up to nine o'clock, and Steve Scafidi will be on the mic. Uh oh, folks still ask me all the time, like, how do you guys figure out what you're going to talk about for the show? Well, pretty much right after we get done here, we go upstairs, nine o'clock, sit down. Greg Pancake Hill, producer of the program, you know, we talk about all right, what what makes it in, what doesn't. So every week we have a lot of great ideas. Some of them make it into the rundown, and we talk about it on the show. Some of them, you know, they're just left out there hanging. So we assign Greg Pancake Hill. To do a little something with the leftovers. So here on this Friday morning is the Pancake Breakfast Special. What about breakfast? We've already had it. We've had one, yes. What about second breakfast? Baby, 
everybody. Happy Friday. Friday always is the best timing out of all days of the week. Always shows up at the right time. So we've had some quite <laughs> some, thank you. We have some great streaks going on in the state of Wisconsin yeah, lately. We do. Quite mainly, the Admirals cruising to 15 straight wins, a streak they take into Saturday afternoon. We got the Marquette Golden Eagles, an eight-game winning streak they're taking into Saturday afternoon as well against number one UConn. You know what? It's about time that the losers get some time in the spotlight. And goodness gracious, it finally happened. Introducing to you all the Detroit Mercy University Titans. A small private university in Detroit, Michigan. Enrollment about 3,600 last fall, so this is not a big school. Highly touted, though, as the number two university in the entire state of Michigan, according to the Wall Street Journal's best list of colleges. Their basketball team, however, could not be further from the truth of that. Dead last in 26 games so far, their basketball season of the Detroit Mercy University Titans. They have won a total of... (gasps) Zero games. (laughs) Yes, their record was 0-26. and That was until yesterday when they hosted IUPUI and finally, just finally, they won a game. The first of their season. Now, it wasn't a buzzer beater. There wasn't some heroic effort. There wasn't a Caitlin Clark 49-point outing to set a scoring record of all time. It was just a solid win. So it's like, okay... Why would you even talk about this? What what what's the point of it? After a big win in college basketball, what is typically the ritual? You, you storm the court. The ritual? Yeah. You storm right. yeah, the you court. You beat the right? number one team in the land. See, you storm. That's what happened. And no, they who didn't. stormed the court? <laughs> one guy. One guy stormed the court. Took his moment. His lonely fan. He went out there, and it was special. A moment to himself. Hands raised in the air, and not only victory, but relief. The pure bliss of this individual is not only refreshing, but it is inspiring. Again, they finally did it. Imagine losing 26 straight games. Like, the just you could see on his face. You know what Patrick Mahomes won the Super Bowl, and he, like, rolled on the ground? It was like, man, I won it for the third time. This dude got one win all year for the basketball season. He was finally so happy, this happy basketball fan. So take that into the weekend with you. Just remember, there's always someone in your quarter, and I think that's displayed otherwise by this ancillary character in the overall grand scheme of this guy's, of this basketball team. This isn't a season ticket holder. This isn't a, a parent of someone on the, on the court. It's just a fan. Just a guy. It's, it's just a fan. What's more relatable than just being a fan of a team? So again, no matter... If you have kind of a slog of a week, if you're streaking on a win streak, someone's always in your corner. But we have to remember, as one streak ends, we go to the next street to root for, to be broken and to be fixed. Keep an eye on Mississippi Valley State, who are the lone owners of a 0-26 record. So we're rooting for you. Someone else is out there. Always think. It could always be worse, but it could always get better as long as you got that one fan who's willing to storm the court for you because you never know. Even the losers, they get lucky sometimes. You know what's terrible about that, too? It's like, at least in pro sports, if you're really bad, you get a top draft pick the next year round. Like, it ain't nothing like that in college. You're just like, bad. Yeah, you don't tank for recruiting. Like, <laughs> right. no one's been like, oh, look at that school. They could use my services. <laughs> I got to check in with the head coach. Like, how do you spin that? Like, making your pitch. Like, well, I mean, maybe it'll be N- one in NIL. 27 next year. NIL might be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Or a disaster. Either way. 
Well, if you're talking about NIL, I mean, lean into it then. We are the worst program in America right <laughs> Just here. Just own it. <laughs> yeah, we are. And make money off of it, baby. Know who you are and own it. 851 Wisconsin's Morning News. WTMJ, W277-CV, and WKTI HD2 Milwaukee from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is News Radio WTMJ, a good karma brand station. on Wisconsin's Morning News. WTMJ 5-Day Forecast is sponsored by Dave Dre Camp Heating, where your comfort is their family's tradition. Let's get you through the weekend here. Chilly today, high of 32 degrees. And tonight's low gets down to 13, and we could see wind chills dropping below zero overnight. Start to warm up Saturday, kind of much of the same, high of 31 under partly cloudy skies. But then Sunday, we'll see a high of 38. Should be mostly sunny on Sunday. And looking ahead to the work week, 42 the high on Monday, Tuesday's high, back up to 48 degrees. So at least for this weekend, you know, an opportunity for the snow hills to make some snow. Folks have been anxious to get out there with the snowboard or skis due to the tubing. I don't know about your yard, but so where I'm positioned from the snow we got the other day, where the sun comes over, like half of my yard yeah, right. is just grass. And on the other side of the line, it's like a Dr. Seuss book or something. Paint a line down and half of it's snow. Now, I said this before, like, I'm not a winter sports guy, so I'm just I'm just waiting for golf season is what I'm doing. But I do appreciate that so many people here in Wisconsin are. I mean, John Mercure and and Greg Matzik have done a great job on Wisconsin's Mm -hmm. afternoon news, really focusing on the devastating impact the lack of snow, particularly up north, has had on businesses there. So I, I root for snow in the winter. If I can't golf, which I can't, might as well, you know, have folks out there enjoying the weather. So I got no problem with snow. I got zero use for below zero temperatures. Like what... That doesn't help anybody. Yeah, I mean, I, and I walk, from, as I've said, from the bus stop. I come down That's and I no have good. a five-block walk to get to the avenue here where we have our studios. And there have been some, when, during that cold stretch, when yeah. it was like 30 below and I'm trudging in here, there are some thoughts like, man, I miss my car sometimes. So, yeah, I'll, t- I'll, take, your t- I'll take your 20s and I'll take your low 30s. That's fine. And I'll have a nice off-season for golf. I don't need to golf in February. But you know, with no snow, it's just like... What's the point here? So yeah, don't hear anything. Dead like outside. Nothing here in the Storm Team forecast from Tyler Moore this morning that indicates any more snow is on the way. WTMJ now with Steve Scafidi is up next. I'll go rustle up Scafidi. He's got to be out there. Charlie's <laughs> giving the thumbs up. He's on the producer way. Charlie. He's like, yeah, he's here. I wasn't asking. I expected as much, but glad to have that confirmation this morning, Charlie. 